0: Welcome to the NutriStrong Podcast, Campfire Nutrition. I'm William Rowe, CEO and co-founder of NutriSource. Over the last 20 years in the nutrition business, we've helped companies around the world commercialize their products. Still to this day, some of these nutritional concepts are difficult to understand. I'm on a mission to help you, the consuming public, understand nutrition better. Join me as I sit down with nutrition industry leaders for a casual chat that I hope you find educational and fun. Thank you. Have a great episode. It's great to have uh, Alan Zudberg of Alchemist Labs uh, as our guest today to talk to us on another episode of NutraStrong Campfire Nutrition, Nutrition Made Easy, Nutrition Made Simple. Uh, and as we always do, we disclose uh, uh, any relationships. And Alan is, a, and his team and his company is a, a vendor to uh, NutraSource, and we're very uh, appreciative of that. And uh, Overall, Alchemist Labs is a really strong brand in the nutritional industry and uh, many, many companies from around the world rely on Alchemist for uh, different aspects of testing, uh, and we're going to get into that a bit today. Uh, so, Alon, welcome. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you, Will. It's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate it. Great.
0: So, let's, let's talk about Alchemist and alchemy and the mm-hmm. brand itself. So, what was the rationale behind that? uh, how big was your focus group?
1: Probably <laughs> one
0: person, but from your standpoint, where did that come from? And what are you trying to portray with, with that name, that logo, et cetera?
1: That's a, that's a good question. So the, the actual corporate name is Alchemists Pharmaceuticals. So the pharmaceutical company for alchemists, uh, so a little sorcery in there, a little herbal, herbalism. Um, and the origin is that, uh, my father, Sidney Sudberg, uh, was a practicing chiropractor acupuncturist and had a line of herbal supplements, Um uh, the line of the herbal tinctures that he used to make was called Alchemist Pharmaceuticals. So we used to make liquid herbal tinctures. They started in the garage. Um, As long as I can remember, this was part of my life. Like the garage was an herbal tincture facility. (laughs) Don't tell the FDA that Um, I think it was all pre GMP. So we're good. Um, uh, And then, uh, you know, at some point in time, around 96, 1997, we heard of some adulteration issues. Uh, in the industry and in the FDA I offered a class. Uh, my father took the class, came back and set, brought back this big, great big binder and said, hey, read this. Let's start doing this for our own incoming raw materials. Mm. So we became a testing lab of our own for the tincture manufacturer called Alchemists Pharmaceuticals. Quickly figured out that we like lab testing better than we do tincture manufacturing, which probably was a mistake from the profit market aspect at this point. <laughs> Um, Got to
0: follow your passion, though. Uh,
1: right? Yeah, passion of the of the chemistry behind it. Uh, my father's yeah. background was chemistry. I began to study chemistry in college, and we shifted the name from Alchemist Pharmaceuticals to Alchemist Laboratories to where it is now, Alchemist Labs. Um, the name kind of works, you know. Um, my father is a brilliant chemist and statistician, but hasn't been, you know, his his flag's not been hung on marketing. But the the K instead of the CH was acute. Um, little touch that gets attention. People try to correct it all the time. Um, (laughs) And so it just kind of serves the industry from which herbalism and dietary supplements arose, which is, you know, I guess sorcery and witchcraft at some point in time, you know, so it's a, it's a fun name that, you know, almost like a conversation piece.
0: For sure. And for the audience out there, what is alchemy in
1: itself? Right. Right. So I suppose the original definition is to turn um, uh, lead into gold or to water into wine, to make, you know, I can take that, extrapolate further to make to find good in something that's not so good, or or shift it. And so I kind of play with that. And that we take, we don't make products, Alchemist Pharmaceuticals or Alchemist Labs. Uh, we make sure that they're good. So we're sort of part of that process of of making sure that products uh, are good or the ingredients that are good that are going to go into the product you're going to take. And
0: what type of products would you typically test in a a given day, a given week?
1: Yeah. So we focus on plants. Uh, There are a lot of labs out there that do tilapia, oil and gas, textiles, whatever. Uh, We are a plant lab, not a horticulture or agricultural lab. We are a medicinal plant lab. So uh, right now the list is almost 2,000 long of medicinal plants. That's chamomile, St. John's wort, bacopa, cannabis, you name it. Any plant that's been traded medicinally on the earth, we generally test it to make sure it is what it is, identity, and then how strong is it, which is the potency. And the last but not least is purity, which is something we're going into uh, very, very soon.
0: And again, when we talk about potency, are we talking about how much stuff is in there or is it in there or what are we talking about potency
1: wise? So an example would be green tea. Uh, You can buy various qualities of green tea uh, in various forms. It could be whole green tea leaves, it could be powder. It's very hard to identify a green powder as its original plant. We will take that, in a small sample from anyone on the planet, let you know if it is or is not green tea based upon certain characteristics. That's identity. Potency, an example potency, uh, now this goes in the sort of the beauties in the eyes, eyes of the beholder. Potency can be defined by measuring some compound. So in green tea, you're probably thinking of caffeine. So we can measure the caffeine in the green tea and let you know the potency from that perspective. Now caffeine alone does not equal green tea. I could take caffeine and put it on a wood pallet and if all you're looking for is caffeine you're going to be a successful uh, entrepreneur someday. But um, <laughs> it, it's it's defined by many things. So identity is making sure you have the right stuff, potency is measuring certain things in the plant, and then purity is making sure there's no really bad stuff in there.
0: So essentially you're you're able to tell your clients, "Yes, it is what you think it is." Right. And and if you and we're going to use this compound or this marker or this specific test to further affirm how much of the good stuff right. is in what you think it is. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Super. Yeah. And and then that's on the, the fun side or the happy side of confirming, yeah. yes, it's green tea. And right. yes, there's this much caffeine in your green tea. Right. Then on the uh, nasty side of what you don't want to find, or you want to find in very trace limited amounts. What does that look like in terms of what gets tested and looked at?
1: Well, so with every plant, there's probably some adulterant or some mistakenly harvested material. So, you know, it could be intentional, could be accidental. You know, a lot of the folks who are harvesting plants from the earth are not PhD botanists, um, go figure. Uh, so occasionally they'll pick stuff alongside with it and, um, we test. There's an exclusion. Essentially, we know what commonly is used to adulterate it, or what is commonly picked in uh, by accident, or, or things like that. So we always test against known adulterants. Um, mm-hmm. The purity side, the heavy metals, obviously, and microbiolo- microbiological issues are the main points of concern.
0: Um, and when you, when you, again, when you're talking about adulterants, how would you define that? He says it could be intentional or unintentional, yeah. but again, from a consumer perspective uh, for the nutritional industry, what is con- what 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 are examples of, or one example of an intentional or unintentional adultery? And what is adultery? Yeah. So, Does mean uh, a botanical got older? No.
1: Right. So. Well, well, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's up for interpretation because uh, in, there's no one rule. I mean, the FDA has certain guidelines, but uh, pharmacopoeias and monographs have certain guidelines on, the acceptable limits of filth in bacopa leaf, which is different than the acceptable limits of insect parts in chamomile flower. Um, you, uh, you know, the buyer has the ultimate decision. Okay, and- I'm
0: never drinking chamomile tea again, by the way. After
1: right. that that again? I'm never drinking chamomile tea. I know. Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> right.
1: Well, actually funny. When I first started the lab, I remember grabbing a flower outside of the lab and, and smelling it and it's enjoying the, the aroma. Then I took it in the lab and I looked at it in the microscope and I saw the whole teeming population of creatures that are going to lay eggs in my brain and you know kill me so so now i don't smell flowers so 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 um strongly you keep
0: a safe distance
1: yeah you know you waft you waft. You,
0: so, you socially distance from flowers
1: That's exactly exactly um yeah. I so from brain. an
0: adult yeah adulterant yeah. wise. Oh, yeah. Yes. How, how would you how how does our industry afi- define define yeah. adulterant so, and i realize so, there are certain things to look for in certain types of products but right. from an industry perspective uh how are those classified generally well,
1: speak? the buyer has the full control um, and the consumer is hoping the buyer makes good decisions so an example someone making a product uh, with green tea in it they can say our specification is such we want green tea we want it to have six percent caffeine and we're allow 20% of unknown foreign material in there there's certain specifications people can allow so they are essentially in the eyes of the beholder they're defining what beauty or quality is other mm-hmm. companies might have higher specifications so the, the rule is that the companies would have their own specs that would match the guidelines of the federal or local, um, local um, ordinances or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Following ideas that were written, you know, like certain plants should have so much percentage of ash when you burn it. And if it has more, then it's considered adulterated. So you, you mentioned quality, like my chamomile is not that good. Is it adulterated? Well, if your spec is that you have high quality chamomile as defined by XYZ and it tests lower than that well then you have an adulterated material it's something labeled as chamomile that you don't um agree with um
0: mm.
1: other version of that is that there's um grass clippings uh, you know again these things are grown outside uh and plants grow next to other plants sometimes they get in there hopefully they're not poisonous weeds um you know and they're just something that's inert but that you'll see that as these natural products so you see a, a, a variety of additional materials that is known and acceptable
0: and in terms of the intentional versus unintentional which i think is a really interesting discussion yeah but do you guys sit back when you test something you say oh that's that's way out of line with what the customer expected or with what we expected uh is it more on the or from your viewpoint is it more on the oh my goodness this stuff someone's put something in here or is it more on the oh clearly this some other species got in there in this in this field or in this environment yeah or, or is it totally case by case
1: it's, it's kind of case by case, plant by plant, um, supply and demand by supply and demand. So an example would be, um, you could buy green tea powder and not specify how much maltodextrin you're okay with. And so you can get green tea powder, which tested by DNA alone passes, but also has 25% maltodextrin. So you could, uh, you know, that's, that's considered a you know, potential quality issue. Um, an example of, that would be sort of intentional, you know, manipulation of the material. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to say that China is, is wonderful at producing the best quality material. They're also wonderful at producing the lowest quality material, and, and that's based upon how much you pay and how much you're going to test it. You can buy the best quality material on earth from China. They know you're going to test it. They don't mess around. If they know you're, you're cheap and you're going to lowest quality material, you're not going to use a good lab, they'll give you the lowest quality material. An example of adulteration would be Hootia, which was a succulent out of South Africa. It was endangered, still is. Uh, you had to have permits to import it to the U.S. Uh, it took six years to grow to maturity, and then wow. on top of that, it was for one of the most, you know, crazy categories, which is uh, weight loss. So it was weight loss, erectile erectile difficulty, and sports supplements. You know these things. Uh, weight loss is a serious category, and so mm-hmm. folks in in uh, New Jersey were buying another cactus called Apuntia and using that instead of hudia, which you can very, very quickly and easily see under a microscope, a huge difference between one cactus and the other cactus succulent. Um, one looks like a cucumber. One looks like a, you know, like a flat pear-shaped leaf. It grows near my house, apuntia. The other one grows in South Africa. The word I got when we started failing this material was that, well, this is Hoodia grown in China. And uh, because it's grown in China, it changes its conformation completely. And You know, I might have gotten a C-minus in botany, but I'm pretty sure that takes hundreds (laughs) of thousands of years to change, you know, an apple to look like a pear. Uh, It just doesn't happen from seed in location one seed. So that was absolutely blatant economic adulteration. Intentional. In fact, people were testing the adulterant plant with us to make sure they had the best adulterant to use to adulterate their hoodia. Wow. Now, another example would be something that um, if you labeled your uh, Glyceriza glabra licorice, um, as glycyrrhiza urolensis, Chinese licorice, um, you could be considered adulterating material if you have the wrong one. They both look very similar in the ground. Uh, they're picked similarly, they're harvested similarly, um, they're tested very similar. There's one test we do that can tell a difference. But the fact is the monographs, the instructional manuals for herbal, herbal medicine for hundreds or thousands of years even, has said that these two are interchangeable. But the, the feds, if you use one label, and you have the other one in your bottle, you can get into big trouble and that's considered adulteration as well. That would be a substitution, maybe an accidental adulteration. Um, there's a number of ways things are played with. In our experience, most of it is just poorer quality material. We don't mm. see um, rat poisoning as an example show up in our um Ever, it's never <laughs> happened. Uh, like oh, that's a good. That's good. Yeah, I mean, like, a fringe look. benefit. <laughs> they forgot to not put rat poisoning in this product. That's that, that's that, that's the TV show. That's is that not a real. label
0: claim. Is that? Yeah, a label yeah, claim?
1: yeah, yeah. Rat poisoning free. But like I said, most of the adulteration we're seeing uh, is a, is a function of sort of like uh, people trying to slip in poor quality material, dilute things rather than strong things, and rather than completely blatant mist or adulterated material.
0: Yeah, and it's a very interesting point on China because I think in our industry. Uh, and I, and I've seen this because in, in our experience, our legacy ingredient is in the marine oil space. Uh, and, and it's not that every single product from one jurisdiction or another, China as an example, but any jurisdiction, it's not that, uh, uh, one jurisdiction's product is always poor or always amazing. In any market, you get a cross section of the spectrum. Absolutely. And I think, I think based upon a whole group of variables and factors, right. uh, that spectrum is wider in some jurisdictions than others. Right. And I don't think China is alone in that. I think they're one of the countries that uh, contributes to or has this wide spectrum, right. and it contributes to uh, having a, a higher proportionate amount of bad product or adulterated product or diluted product or misrepresented right. product. But they also have a, a lot of good stuff coming out of there, too. And I think Absolutely. that's a important point to, uh,
1: Absolutely. to hold on. Well, here's a quick example. There was a, 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 a challenge with paint on kids' toys many years back from Mattel, a popular toy manufacturer. And everyone's, oh, it's China, it's China. Well, what we figured out is the Mattel division in China was not careful enough with their specs. Hey, China, don't use lead paint for our toys. Well, they forgot to have that conversation. <laughs> and that's what happened. It wasn't China. They just made the profit margin that Mattel requested. You know, the, the, the price for our paint will be such. And they said, got it. And they didn't say anything about lit, so they got lit. So it's not China. It's the buyers from China.
0: Right. And, and if your quality control breaks down in any supply chain, you can have issues.
1: Absolutely. Right? Absolutely.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And then in, in terms of your uh, a catalog, one of the areas that I find very interesting, and we've touched on a little bit, but when we with, with, with botanicals and, and botany and everything else, have you gotten into testing the bacteria associated with certain geographical regions as part of ID? So I've seen some stuff on things like peppers and uh, bell pepper grown in Mexico because the soil conditions are very different to say my geography, Southwestern Ontario, where we we can also grow peppers from time to time. Uh, It's a very short season, but it does happen. And and the soil uh, composition is very, very different to obviously Mexico. So has any of that crept into your thinking or the way you approach the testing at all?
1: Yeah, not from a microbiological standpoint, as we don't we don't touch that as of yet. That's that's for uh, our our next round of tooling up, which we're in the middle of or we're starting, uh, I should say, happily. But um, we do see that same variability uh, growing conditions, I'll call it, uh, in testing for identity. Um, You use pepper. So, for example, I can grow a jalapeno pepper in my front yard, You put in your front yard or backyard, wherever your garden is. Um, mm-hmm. I have a tendency to water my plants too much, so I can get jalapeno peppers to taste like nothing. Because if you water them too much, the hot goes away. If you're mean to them and you don't water them, they get mad and they get hotter. So that's <laughs> a simple example. You add water, lower the heat; less water, higher the heat. Um, all these environmental conditions, soil, as you mentioned, and there's a whole bunch of really interesting research going into like the the probiotic or the microbial um, of soil and how that really makes a huge difference. We're not um, measuring that yet yeah, but what we see is when we pass or fail a material a lot of times it's because of small differences in a in a fingerprint a chemical fingerprint that we measure um, so every plant has many chemicals in it that makes up a fingerprint of that plant from a chemical's perspective those chemicals are called secondary metabolites they're essentially things that are made from the plant during its growth caffeine um, uh, morphine uh, THC you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, fine. Um Those are secondary metabolites. Those are all functions of growing conditions. What's in the soil, what's living with the soil in the soil with them. And also, of course, harvesting and drying. And uh, if it's picked too early, picked too late. Those things play roles in whether or not we can pass or fail a sample. So by genetic testing, it could exactly be the right material. But, you know, if you use a little bit of quality to, to be a spec in your identification, you might fail something as a result of poor growing conditions. Um, so i so kind of circling back to what you mentioned, the, the microbiological uh, family that's growing alongside the plants, I think is another influencer in the secondary metabolites of plants, which produces more caffeine, less caffeine, or some version of that.
0: And then when you talked about the fingerprinting, uh, uh, because we know that um, from a DNA perspective, a lot of this has been now barcoded and cataloged. Mm-hmm. Uh, but within that realm, when you're talking about fingerprinting, each fingerprint, just like a human fingerprint, I assume is one of the reasons why the term is used is is unique to its its right. classification to itself.
1: Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah, and uh, you know, and, and and that's the that's the kind of the challenge right now with identity. Um, you know, the the specifications on how do you officially call green tea green tea um, are sort of set. There's no standard on earth um, on what is officially green tea. Um there are books that say it should have these characteristics. Throw in the amazing and extremely strong tool of DNA and we find that you know um the plant names may actually not be what we thought they were. So mm. well, again back to Chinese licorice and um not Chinese licorice or um Devil's Claw has two different species, uh um Harpagophidum procrams, Zairi, interchangeable in commerce for thousands of years. The books say you can use this one or this one. It doesn't matter. But they were named differently by botanists. And so there's this there's this difference. And so I, I have the concern that genetics, as an example, could look further than what we're actually experiencing, which is not right or wrong. I would just say not necessary for the level for which we're using these materials. So like the monographs say, you can use either devil's claw. You can use either either licorice. But the, the lawyers will be absolutely certain that you made sure you got the right one on your bottle. Um, so right. Genetic- as, so genetics has the capacity to look a little too too far deep in the in the, in the topic of plants, in my in my opinion, too deep uh, for its own good. Uh, it'll mess up a lot of stuff um, unnecessarily just because of technicalities in labeling.
0: Yes, yeah, so I was going to say you you kind of call this unnecessarily disruptive. Almost, it's yeah, it's yeah. it's over engineered thought process, yeah. over te- uh, over testing. It's testing I'm, to a fault.
1: Testing exactly, a fault. it's exactly that's it. It's not not true. It's not not. It's it's great. It's it's amazing yeah. technology, and I um you know I think it's I have a lot of appreciation for it. I just think it was misapplied to our our soft fuzzy little plants. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, I love the names of plants. They always mm. fascinate me. Yeah. So I I'm gonna put you on the spot here. I'm gonna get some that you mentioned, but where they get their name from? I think Chinese licorice. We could probably figure that one out. Right. But how did devil's claw come about? Right. I, there's got to be some amazing backstory around devil's claw.
1: It, you know, a lot of it's botan- botanists are funny creatures. Um, I was <laughs> gonna become one, and you know, I I have more of an entrepreneurial spirit. Maybe I, I'll say it in a, a different way. I like um nicer things, and botany does doesn't pay. Well, you end up being a hungry person most of the time, but it's a passion. But they, they name. But you things. know
0: which plants to eat and not to
1: eat. They know which plants to eat, so at the end of the day, you want a botanist on your team. You always want to yeah. see, be like, eat yeah. that or not? Yeah. Um, no, but they name things based on how they look. Period. The ends, uh, the leaves, how they're lobed, how they're rigid. Um, the roots of devil's claw looks claw-like. It's red and brown, and it has this sort of nasty, um, nasty-looking confirmation so you know a lot of them um got their name because of how it looks and then you throw some latin terms in that instead of english and you know sometimes it makes sense harpagophytum procrums i don't know what those those words latin mean but i'm going to get that their harpagophytum has some sort of other origin that you know talks about the devil or something like that um but yeah if you look at the the plant itself it looks like a gnarly claw of some sort some bird that you don't know want to talk to <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah no exactly and right. Uh, We hear all these names in our our industry. St. John's Ward. Give me that. You must know that one. I'm sure you do.
1: That's an interesting one. Actually, I don't, but I can play with it. Did St. John have
0: a massive ward? At the the same time, he was looking at a plant he couldn't recognize.
1: No, it could be something like that because I know the plant under the microscope and it's not necessarily a warty. I know the plant in whole. It's not like that's a warty plant. Chemically, I know the plant. It's this nothing. My guess is some person named St. John. Either had warts or used it for warts or something, and that's—I'm—I'm—I'm going to bet you know we're on the right path. It's something like that is my my suspicion. (laughs) Like I said, these things were named by people based on like oh it looks ribbed, we'll call it the ribbed you know green leaf whatever.
0: And with all these names that are used now, they're really regulated terms
1: because they appear
0: on labels for the consumers to interpret and. From from omega three or probiotic space, I have a decent understanding of of label and labels na- label names and so forth, uh, and you know fish oil versus omega three EPA and DHA probiotics. But then you look at the strains and their counts and how they're broken up. Right. With botanicals, do you still feel uh, at least in the U.S. I see this in Canada, even though we have a pre-approval system for these types of products, it'll say like with green tea, so many milligrams of green tea.
1: Right.
0: Whereas with uh, probiotics and omega-3, I have generally found in a retail setting, they, they dig a little deeper and they get more to the, the payload or the re- reason the consumer is buying it. Right. Whereas I find, yeah. you know, you could have St. John's word of, of so many, I don't even know if it's in milligrams or micrograms or whatever it is. Right. uh, uh for 9.99 a bottle and right beside right. it there's one for 40 bucks a bottle but right. it from first blush it looks like st john's wort so right. uh, label wise you really know this space right uh, 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 you're, you're a subject matter expert in this area big time yeah and what, what what should a consumer look for who wants to take care of their health for right. themselves their family or recommend products to friends yeah uh when you're walking in that retail setting or you're surfing online uh, which COVID's accelerated, of course. What do you look for on the botanical side in terms right. of
1: the nitty gritty? So great questions. Um, you said something in the beginning of that question about sort of like these, the how, how we, you know, how many milligrams of this, milligrams of that, and there's been this trend, and I'm not saying good or bad, just a trend in the industry to sort of pharmaceuticalize these plants. Uh, as an example, I'll just use cannabis. We know THC cannabis, that's the big one, you know, that we all knew, but guess what? There's a ton more chemicals in that plant and there's a whole handful of them that are effective for the the reaction you're looking for. Um so you back in the day you smoked a joint, a big dirty joint and you maybe got high. Nowadays the plants are so strong. Uh, I did? Okay. Yeah, No, no, I heard maybe. I don't
0: I don't remember.
1: Right. Yeah, of course. But <laughs> so nowadays they're taking the I didn't
0: inhale, I didn't inhale either if course, I did. Of course, yeah. Just for the record.
1: <laughs> But but nowadays they're taking the fine chemicals of these plants and they're extracting them and isolating them. And then they're selling them as versions of the plants. So like you can go to a dispensary and buy a THC extract. It's void of everything that came from the ground, except for one or two chemicals and a carrier, again, not good or bad. Um, Same thing with caffeine or in green tea. I mean, I'm drinking a a yerba mate drink right now. I'm drinking this because of caffeine. I could snort a line of caffeine if I really just wanted the caffeine or I'm maybe intravenous if I'm not sure how people do that. But this has it in it. So um, the industry has taken plants and they've made them marketable like the pharmaceutical industry has and focused on these um, these focused um, phytochemicals that they then have clinical research on those chemicals and can then make better and more claims. So back to your, your question of like how, do, how does the consumer know? I mean, there's there's a trend in the industry of of getting smarter than the plant and just having uh, branded extracts or novel extracts that are focusing on particular fractions of a plant that have some research. So that's an indication to me of progress towards, you know, innovation and a well, more effective product. It's also a bit of sexiness in that people like to add the, you know, ex to a word like St. John's Wort x, or you know, like, then it becomes an ingredient and they cool, how mm-hmm. oh, cool logo, and now it's a branded ingredient when it's just St. John's Wort. The plant's, you know, uh, 300 million years old. It's it's not that new, but you added a, a phrase to it. So again, back to your question, how does the consumer know? You can look for those types of things, um, novel ingredients, because it means there's been more science upon that brand or that product. They're also working with other companies who have science behind their ingredients. I think it's a positive thing. The 9.99 bottle of St. John's Wort didn't get tested at Alchemist Labs. Uh, um, so I don't get sued. I'm not gonna say where it got tested, but it didn't get tested at any of the prominent labs that exist in this industry. The $49 bottle most likely did, and the 49 dollars bottle probably get tested by several labs, and they may even share the results of those lab tests on their website, as an example. So to to your consumers, look for transparency. Look for products that have nothing to hide, because there shouldn't be anything to hide. If you can't celebrate the partners you work with in this industry, uh, Nutrisource or Alchemist Labs, as an example, um, you know, uh, then, then maybe something's missing. And so that's why I always lean towards products that have the confidence in their ingredients and in their partners, where do they get the, the herbs who tested it? What are the results sharing the results at the consumer level, even if the consumer doesn't understand it, the access to it is critically important in my belief. Uh, and that's, that's how I steer friends and family to buy products, um, avoid the 999 products because generally they were poor quality, poorly tested. You know, the person who owns that company probably owns a real estate company. This is like a third company for them. they also have a marketing company and <laughs> a, digital media this and it, that you know and they own a supplement company that sells st john's work um or the 49 one which is the herbal experts the supplement experts and they go through all of the the hoops to use the, the right firms to make sure they have the right claims the right products and the right labs and then they show all of the data that they have
0: yeah and, and there's a lot you just unpacked there yeah
1: uh, sorry stuff.
0: no no it's no. great and then from from your perspective uh Have you found, in terms of the nutritional industry uh, sponsor or company practices, uh, do the – like in every industry, you have your A players, your B players, your C players, and I don't know how far down the list we need to go, but there are different tiers and different levels. Some want to pay for quality, be price for quality. Uh, Do you find that the better labs, better service providers – they attract the best in class because yeah. they want to maintain the quality standard. Like you said, yeah. they have nothing to hide or good, bad, or ugly, they really want to get to the bottom of the science yeah. and understand what's going on. Uh, yeah. and, and that the, uh, uh, say, you know, not best in class, however deep you want to fractionate that, they tend to gravitate towards the service providers that facilitate uh, not necessarily cover up, but you know, not yeah. full transparency about right. testing right. and products, and what happened with this from a scientific perspective. And hey, we when we did find something that was unfavorable, hey, we dealt with this, and this is how right. we dealt with. And that's that's the thing that always uh, baffled me with this industry. Yeah. <laughs> many times is it's okay to have issues, just deal with them. Right. And let people know how you're dealing with them. Exactly. And you actually could build more market credibility and build your brand that way.
1: Right. Right. You know, it's uh, it's the FDA put out regulations called GMPs, good manufacturing practices, and essentially said you got to test, you got to test like this. Um, Best of luck to you. You know, we'll we'll see you in your in your audit. And they didn't specify what types of tests, or they said scientifically valid. So, I mean, it is possible you could use an app on your cell phone and an expensive light box to identify your chamomile because it's, you know, it's, it's a service provided by a company who claims to have a validated test method. You can also spend, you know, $40,000 using every single phytochemical profile, putting it back together to confirm you have the right plant. Um, They didn't say which one to do. So everywhere in the middle is perfectly legit as long as you keep records. And some of those methods are not fit for purpose. They're not meant for plants. And complicated um, analyses. Um, and so uh, what's funny about that is the cannabis industry, we play a little bit in the hemp side of that. Um, the cannabis industry has been very specific. Thou shalt use method XYZ for thy tests for QRS. They say specifically what method, what instrument and what method they should use to measure things. So it's very clear that all the labs have to use this method. We get closer and closer to having the same results. Back to dietary supplements, you can measure things with six different equipment, uh, and methods, and you have six different types of values and numbers, and because of that, the quality varies uh, considerably. Um, you can have one company selling the same stuff with completely uh, different values based upon different lab results.
0: Hmm. And then from a consumer protection or a public perception, uh, protection point of view, how does a lab, what, what is the, uh, uh, enforcement on a bad lab, or how does a bad wow. lab get yeah. caught, and yeah. and who who who's responsible for overseeing this? So yeah, so you as a testing lab are certifying for companies, right? That not not officially, but you're affirming for them, right? In most cases, hopefully that it is what they thought it was, and the key ingredient or ingredients that are in there. Uh, are at the level they're supposed to be, to support right. the label claim and what they're selling to the consumer. And that right. could be transparent, those results can be there, uh, and that supply chain is intact. Right. But who who oversees that when, right. and right. If, someone, if someone is ill-intended or reckless or is not as sophisticated as they should be in order right. to provide this service but are doing it anyway, who oversees that and how does that get checked and balanced?
1: It's a good question. Uh, Several years ago, I spoke at the FDA uh, on dietary supplements and testing and whatnot, and I was on the speaker side of the panel, and people were asking questions with the FDA and me and a few other colleagues from the industry, Uh, and there was like a pause, and I said, I have a question, and I asked the question to the person to the left of me, I said, who regulates the labs? Who makes sure we don't screw up? Who makes sure that we're actually legit doing a good job for all these other people?
0: Yeah, not cutting corners or not taking liberties, not doing… Not doing, because you can produce C of A's as a piece of paper or test results right. as a piece can, of paper all day yeah. long. Dry, dry It's called dry labbing. Yeah. Uh, for those out there, that's when labs just print results, but actually haven't tested anything. Right.
1: So answer was, well, we do, but it's not the highest concern, and we generally don't get involved until someone dies as a result of a lab test done wrong. Um, which, you know, it it makes sense. I understand their answer. It's frustrating. I feel and I wish there was a greater effort to regulate labs because, you know, there are only a handful left uh, and there's only one or two out there that I think shouldn't be around at this point. And that Mm -hmm. number has never been a huge number of bad labs, been a small number, but they've stuck around because no one's really regulating that. And, you know, you you can potentially use a a bad lab who uses a bad method, who produces inaccurate data, and you put your paperwork together and put a product on the market. Um, you know, one of the ways I've been speaking on this is people talk about how to qualify a good lab. And right now with COVID is challenging because we're not sending auditors out to physically audit any, anything. There's a lot of paper trail audits. Audit was the first response. How do you know if you're working at the good lab? You audit them. Well, I've got a quick and easier answer to that and it's called check the FDA's website. If you go to fda.gov, this is for consumers. You want to check out a brand? go to fda.gov, type in the brand name, Uh, they will have data on whether they've made really bad mistakes. And in fact, one of the labs that exists in our industry has an FDA warning letter, uh, which Mm. uses the words multiple deaths. (laughs) Now, it was there. We never went to court. Mm. They were never tried for that. But the ingredient that they tested that passed was later involved in something with multiple deaths. That's a reason to not use that lab. Or if you're thinking about this supplement and they've got several warning letters that say they have unsanitary practices they didn't have specs written the, you know it's like the the food um uh thing on the restaurants a b c or d and tells you the sanitation like the, the food temperature the fda.gov has that for products if you don't find the brand be creative with the naming sometimes there's dbas but if you don't find the brand that's generally a good sign if you're gonna use a lab yeah. fda.gov and then audit and then then take the next steps But um, I, I suggest that for all consumers. I mean, that goes from like vape products to lotions to heart valves. It's on the FDA.gov website, and
0: that's available to the public as long as you have internet access. Yep. You don't have to sign up for anything. You free. can just go do your research free of charge, right?
1: Yeah, I have an FDA alert. And every time there's a, a warning letters, I get an email and I look through them. I'm like, oh, I'm going to call them, and oh, I'm never okay. use that product.
0: <laughs> now that's a really good point because with I know with Health Canada and with FDA. Uh, I do this as part of right. you know, staying on top of industry news, good, bad, right. and ugly, as right. to what's going on from the government health agency perspective. But both of those uh, uh, entities in Canada, in the U.S., a consumer can sign up yeah. for these feeds and notices. Yeah. Right. And I, th- I think that with COVID in particular, it's going yeah. to accelerate the trend of consumers simply relying on a label or a company website, I especially see this in the market research around millennials and their purchasing habits, a a greater percentage of them, because they have the tool in their hand, ultimately, they're doing a far deeper dive, not all of them, but uh, as opposed to maybe the the baby boom group that, even though they might have the time now because they're in retirement or heading into retirement. They tend to be a little more trustworthy overall. And yeah. uh, I, I know uh, that's a bit of a generalization, but that's what the market research overall I, says on a macro basis. I, I agree uh, but, with what, but millennials will dig deep. Yeah. Greater proportion of them will dig deep. Absolutely. And, th- and we sign up as industry people to these feeds, but they're actually available to everybody Yeah. in a lot yeah. of cases. And they're great information. Yeah. And you see what's getting recalled or, or why. You see what drugs are being approved or right. what drugs are uh, on, put on um, – a shortage or back order because there's a whole section of the fda that deals with drug shortages and right. they inform the public when yep. something's backordered and not available for six months exactly. uh, and, and i i find those tools very interesting and they help me stay on my game being in this right. industry of course but overall right. they're
1: they're well, they're there for you yeah. You spoke something that's important. I think that the consumers are changing. They're always changing um, throughout time. But like I said, the the baby boomers are looking less at their cell phones at labels and looking less reviews, perhaps. What we do know is, with the market studies, is that the next generation of consumers, the 20 year old and plus, want to know more, and they have these devices that are infinitely, you know, um, possible of just data. They can get so much data, and the the more data you share with the consumer, the more trust the brand. That goes from quality, sourcing, branding, giving back where you're B Corp or not, all these really important things. Um, the consumer It's not enough to just have a product that's the same price as the one next to it. If they have certifications of being a good company, you know, fair trader, as an example, or non-GMO, all that stuff. Um, I think that uh, that helps the consumers make their final decisions. And this kind of speaks to my efforts on transparency. The more you share, the more confidence the consumer will have to buy that product. Um, it also tells a story that you're not hiding anything. Why would you hold back on all that data? It's there. You paid for it. Use it in your marketing. You, if you work yeah, with, leverage
0: I, it, leverage it. It's there. It. Why yeah. not use
1: it? I mean, I, I talk about this all the time. That our we are one of the most expensive labs. You know, so we work with the $49 products, not the $99 products. Um, and we have customers who spend a ton of money with us every year and don't say a single word about it. It's like uh, y- you and I paying. Uh, $30,000 for a marketing campaign that we look at and we're like, cool. They put it in the drawer and you never use it. <laughs> Great everything of, yeah. Every single one of my C of A's that we give to a client is marketable. That's a, that's a token of confidence to the next level of consumer should Absolutely. be part and center on the website saying, here's our finished product, everything that took to get to it. I'm, I'm super confident that that's going to be the next generation in transparency is that they are going to see these CVA's everywhere. Again, even if they don't understand what a chemical fingerprint or a or chromatograph is, that the access to it, the availability to that confidence is what's going to make the decision to buy a product over another product.
0: And that's become increasingly important. Absolutely. I, I, just, I think the market research, uh, that's my opinion, but I also see it in the market research. Yeah. <laughs> so just one last area to cover off this has been great fantastic thanks for pulling back the veil a bit on the lab world and the world of uh, uh, botanicals and so forth what are what are a couple real key areas for the lab industry in the lab world as it relates to uh, the nutrition industry that you feel are hot trends now or into the future in the next little while
1: what do you, you know, say? I, I spoke a little bit about branded ingredients, like novel ingredients, these fine chemicals from plants and fun things. I think that the trend is that those aren't going away. Again, no, not good or bad. They're just they're here. I think they get complicated. Uh, they get mixed together and I think there'll be greater efforts to work with labs and those manufacturers um, to have those things testable. I also think, as I mentioned, transparency in the lab uh, arena is going to be changing. Um dramatically in this industry moving forward, we don't have much else to sell. It's a lot of better sameness out there. You know, how sexy can you make your label and your, your brand? But now there's a the next level of, Oh, we got all this stuff we haven't shared yet in all these years. Let's, let's now put that front and center. Um, and, and I think also the personalized medicine is, is, is growing and growing. And it's yeah. just a, even if, even if I buy a vitamin that has my name on the bottle, I mean, man, I like that so much better than <laughs> without my name. This is my bottle, right? Yes. feels <laughs> it cozy.
0: It feels special.
1: It feels special. It's unique. Yeah. And it's made had that idea and then also made their bottle clear and transparent. It's just like that's where it's going. Clean, transparent, um, data rich uh, is where the where the industry would be going. It, um, you know, there'll be, there'll be scandals in the future. There'll be some sort of ingredient that's pulled off the market. This is kind of these happen. Every three or four or five years, this industry learns from getting a black eye, and we get better from it. We all like stand up straighter and look a little bit closer, and uh, and ultimate product is a better and more effective product for the for the the consumers.
0: Great. Well, Alana, I just want to thank you again for your time today. This has been uh, a great session, great information. Thank you, uh, I always love talking to you, and uh, really appreciate. Uh, sure you spending the time today. Thank you.
1: It's an honor. I appreciate Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks.
0: Thank you for joining the NutriStrong Campfire Nutrition Podcast. We hope you found this episode both educational and fun. Hope to see you again soon. If you want to check us out further, you can go to NutriSource.ca or go to Certifications.NutriSource.ca. Thank you kindly, and I hope you have a great day. Bye for now.